They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. And we're back with another episode of Keep It. I'm Ira. I'm Kara. And Alvin and the Chipmunks okay. have okay. joined us. Okay, okay. Mother of God, it's Lewis. <laughs> Let her live. Alvin and the Chipmunks. I invited some Chipmunks, okay. and they didn't show up. Lewis did. <laughs> I actually related to Simon growing up. He had glasses and seemed slightly annoying. Was it that? Oh, Theodore was the tall one. No, th- uh, Theodore, Theodore was the squat one. Was the, mm. in the green? Yeah. Sad. I've I've purged my brain of all chipmunks, like information. Clearly, I'll tell you what though. If you look up Dave Seville, the owner of the chipmunks, pretty cute. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Do he that. looked a little bit like Aladdin at 38. I preferred them when they were the Rescue Rangers. Ooh, I love that. That's a good theme song. Yeah. Sometimes. I have nothing to add to Some this. Some crime. <laughs> <laughs> Just slipping through the crack. Okay. Anyway, um, this week we have a wonderful guest. We have Francesca Ramsey. I have uh, love her. Yeah, you know her from the internet, and her new book is coming out. Well, that escalated quickly. Memoirs and mistakes of an accidental activist. We'll chat with Francesca a little bit later in the show, but first. Um, Lewis, you didn't watch Eurovision with me. I caught up with Eurovision. I was occupied on Saturday with a very important task of being hungover. All right. Well, that happens. Um, do you know what Eurovision is, Karen? <sighs> very vaguely. I it's I know that it involves more than just Europe, which I find Strange. very confusing. Right. Maybe change Israel, the name. Israel Israel I saw Israel won and I was like, that's not in Europe. I don't understand what this is. Australia I'm gonna move on with my life. Is yeah. involved. Yeah. Canada I, is. They won't let America in. Right. I, I need we things win. to make sense for me to care about them. And this from the jump doesn't make any sense. Europe likes performing versions of the climb in fr- in front of fancy screensavers. That's what Eurovision is. For decades, mm. every country competes in a music competition and then they all vote for who they want to win. The and world does? The, the every, every country, country does, Europe. yeah. It's, so doesn't it's, the country just with the most people win? No. Like they don't just oh, vote yeah, for their own country? Like, it's like there's an algorithm and there's stuff. There's like, yeah. you know, there's a, there's the popular vote because people call in to vote, but then there's also alliances like who's next to which country or... Like, hmm, Spain's awfully supportive of Portugal this year, that kind of bullshit. Yeah. Gosh. Um... Usually Russia is scamming, but I think everyone's tired of Russia this year. And Israel won, which is a little shady. But by the way, deserved because that song had everything. It had it, the song is called Toy, and the song goes, "I'm not your toy, you stupid boy." Which is the only poem I need. I, Gwendolyn Brooks shook. <laughs> I hear that Ivanka blared that song as she rang in the new embassy. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, yeah, Israel is... Um, and that means that they will host the next Eurovision in Israel. Yeah, so um, there's already talk of the controversy of is it going to be in Tel Aviv or is it going to be in Jerusalem? 
Okay. <laughs> and and will there be bops? And we will be recording Keep It Live from Eurovision yeah. in 2020. Where will, where will we be Actually, up next, though, Ira? Oh, yes. Next, our next live show will be at Bonnaroo. What happens in Tennessee? I have no guess. Dolly Parton's from there. That's all the information I have. Elvis's ghost? I guess. Anyway, we're performing performing. We're doing a live show from Bonnaroo on Saturday, June 9th. Performing. I'm, I'll be bringing my puppets. I mean, <laughs> I don't should I don't know we, how you do this live. Should we be in our festival wear? It is a music festival. Yeah. You know, like a a fringe vest. Racist headdresses. Yeah, racist. <laughs> With a crop top. Yeah. Uh Beyoncé will not be at this one, but we will. So, it's sort of like Beachella. <laughs> Moving on, This week marked the beginning of Television Upfronts, where the broadcast networks unveil their new programming and make pitches to advertisers. This year, with advertiser money drying up, all the networks are fighting to show why they still matter in the era of Netflix and Hulu. That means a bunch of shit got canceled and (laughs) uh, some new stuff got picked up. The big show that got canceled was Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and then a day later it was picked up again by NBC. And so Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it's actually, you know, for all the the TV nerds out there, there's the network and the studio. And so NBC Universal is the studio that actually produces Brooklyn Nine-Nine, even though the show aired on Fox. And so now the show has gone back to NBC, the network, which makes a lot more financial sense. So like when the show airs on Hulu and they get residuals from that, that goes to the studio, not the network. So Fox wasn't seeing any of that money. They only care about football now. So I haven't been keeping up with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but I really like the show and I'm glad that they got a second chance. Fox really does only care about football and reality now, mostly because of the whole upcoming Disney merger. The studio is basically going to be gone. So whatever Fox will be in the future will be an interesting mm-hmm. network. Can I say the upper over Brooklyn Nine-Nine's cancellation when it happened before it got picked up? A little overblown. I mean, we did have five seasons of it. And also, is anybody worried Andy Samberg is going to find work? I mean, he's like the like arithmetic mean of humor that appeals to dudes. Like, he, he will always be working. I think it was less about him, though. And the cast was, like, that was the thing about it. It was a really diverse cast. And, like, not just diversity just for the sight of it, but, like, the characters were interesting. Like, you had a gay black police chief. I'm going to assume the only one of those we've ever seen on television or on any screen ever. So I do think like the way the women were portrayed in the show is like with a little bit more like nuance and interesting. So I think it was and it was a show. It was the only show you could watch about cops that made you feel good. Um, so <laughs> I think true. all of those things. Let's not knock SVU here. Do you feel good about the cops on that show? I feel good about Mariska's haircut and her Well, she's a de- she's a detective, right? She's not a Yeah. Well, most of them are detectives on Yeah, that's true. Night. That's true. I do say it's it's vindication because uh Andre Brower when he was on that show Men of a Certain Age was amazing and then it went away. And so he gets to be amazing on this and hilarious too, which I didn't know he had in him until this show. Who watched Men of a Certain Age? Excuse me, it was me. Also, I had to watch every pilot during that time, so it wasn't like I chose to. But Did, Ray Romano, also good on that show. Anyway. Is there any show that you watch that got canceled? No. Honestly, looking at a lot of the list of shows, I'm, I can't, like, Taken, I sort of can guess what that was about. But for the most part, they were just threatening verbs. The Exorcist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Expanse? Yeah, right. What? <laughs> there's, there's a lot in an Expanse. Lucifer. Oh, my God. That had some fans. 
people it were did. upset people about were that. upset about lucifer people were going in about lucifer and also i was not shocked that abc picked up all of shonda's shows because she's gone and so they uh, oh they picked them up they, again they renewed, you, they them, renewed them you know because they want to well, I mean, of course, you're not going to cancel Grey's Anatomy on season 75. It's but they kept, <laughs> we're in it they now. Kept for the people on too, which is a plucky little practice esque show. I kind of like it. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen it. Wait, it's a Shonda show? Yeah. yeah, I don't even know it. I mean, the woman prints money. I would keep everything that she made. <laughs> right. Also, it's just no. If she collapsed in your office, you should trace that outline and then bring it to air. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any new shows that you're looking forward to that were picked up? I have to say, reading the log lines for these shows acquaints me with how every TV log line is stupid. Like, oh, she's psychic? Fuck you. You know, just nothing sounds interesting in the abstract. 30 Rock's my favorite show of all time. If you told me what that was about, I would think it sounded stupid. That said, these shows mostly sound stupid. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm I'm withholding judgment. I don't know. I, I think you're right. Like when you do read the log lines and I've read the scripts for some of these shows and it's hard to fully see it until you've seen the show. Right. Yeah. And I find it difficult to like read the log line and be like, this is going to be good. I don't know. So I, we'll I see. love a primetime soap. So I am looking forward to ABC's Grand Hotel. Produced mm. by Ava Longoria. Love you. Um, that seems like it's going to be sexy and full of intrigue and, you know, maybe some murder mysteries. Does she always have like a produced pilot every year? I feel like Ava Longoria is this upstarty she sort is of she business is lady. She is, busy. she is busy. She's working. She's pregnant. She, remember when she was out? Um, she campaigned a lot for Barack Obama, if I remember correctly. Like, She's out in the streets. She produces this podcast. That's right. <laughs> Terry Hatcher, where are you? I would where like to know. She produces Love It or Leave It. What oh, about yeah. the redhead? <laughs> Marsha Cross. Oh, Marsha. Well, you know who's the Marsha Cross stand of all time? Ira. I love her. She, Do you? I like, I'm obsessed with her. She obsessed was on, with her. She was, on, she was on Melrose Place. She played Kimberly. Okay. The crazy person who ripped the wig off. Okay. And tried to blow up the complex. Uh, she did blow up the complex. And then she kidnapped some people and gave them lobotomies. Uh, she was on Desperate Housewives. Yes. Then recently, she was on the Messy and um, canceled this season Quantico. Oh, as she the rolled mayor up to Quantico. <gasps> Actually, I'm not mad at that. <laughs> I see that. Quantico, Quantico was a hot mess, but Priyanka Chopra is so famous worldwide. I feel like. All three seasons of Quantico are just going to air for eternity in like other countries. She's so famous, it's crazy they actually make her even say lines. Like she doesn't just murmur, I'm famous. I mean, <laughs> to me, the fact that Quantico even got to a third. It, I watched the first season of Quantico. It kind of ran out of plot after the first season. If you get through the first half of the first season, the mystery is basically like the mystery of the it's series about a is terrorist solved. Attack yeah. on New York. Yeah. And then they solve it. And they it. fix it. They solve it. <laughs> and then all of a like, sudden. In like the first half of the first season, like you come back after the winter break and they've already kind of figured it out. And so the but fact. But they did that twist where like the person you thought did it killed themselves. Yeah, they yeah, like, they jumped out the window. But there was actually someone else behind the attack. It didn't. And so the fact to me that it made it to three seasons, I was like, oh, they've, this is a scam. It's amazing. They figured this out. Like, this will never end. I didn't realize it was like, it's like Scream 3, where it's like, there were secret killers 25 years you know, ago. I, yeah. I yeah. did hear someone describe it once as a Shonda Rhimes show that they didn't want to pay Shonda Rhimes to make. Sure. Because it is, it is Shonda Rhimes-esque and it, you know, it's kind of diverse and sexy, but it didn't, quite make enough sense 
You know, and like it, it can't stop making sense season one. Like but, Scandal stopped making sense like season four. And you're like, okay, we've been here. It's fine, whatever. The wildest thing about Quantico that made me jump off board was in season two. The first season was about this, you know, new recruits in this FBI team and in their class. And then the second season introduced us to people who were in their class, apparently. <laughs> we had never it. met them in the first Classes season. are large. Yeah. I was like, who the fuck are these people? Also, I have a friend who went through Quantico and he did not find it accurate. If you can believe <laughs> it. If you can believe I it. I believe it's a documentary, <laughs> so that's really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I think besides Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the craziest revival this season was Tim Allen's Last Man Standing. For a man who was very determined the world was... <laughs> Sure was out to make sure he never made TV again. It took about 12 minutes for him to come back to air. Fox says that Roseanne's ratings, not her politics, contributed to them reviving Last Man Standing. So they did not put Tim Allen back on TV because he's a conservative and they're trying to get conservative views. Just they think that it'll get big ratings from conservative viewers. None of this makes sense. It's circular logic. Next, yeah. like the CW will renew like the 700 Club as a sexy teen drama <laughs> where they're all like Christian bitches. I mean, aren't Roseanne's ratings falling a little bit? Yes. It's not like they created a new show for Tim Allen. They right. renewed a show that was already canceled because its ratings were low. Right. Baffling. I don't know. I want Patricia Richardson, who was on that show, I believe, for two seconds, and who played uh, the mom on Home Improvement. I want her to have all the work in the world, because she was also on that Lifetime show, Strong Medicine, which I believe was about being a doctor in in the worst hospital or something. Anyway, I root for her because of Hard Bangs. You know, if Jonathan Taylor Thomas is willing to make a cameo on, what is the show called? Last Man Standing. I might might give it a view. Uh Uh-huh. Two Men Standing. (laughs) <laughs> where is he hiding? This is such a basic BuzzFeed question. I'm sorry. I'm sure there's a perfectly logical answer to where he is. You'll never believe what Jonathan Taylor Thomas is up to yeah. now. Check Zergnet to find out. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's the question now of whether broadcast networks are still sort of relevant. Like, how do you two watch TV now? I still watch broadcast. I do. I mean, I have part of it is I feel like for work especially when I was writing at Jezebel and I would I would have to live blog things and things like that. So I I I pay for cable, I pay for my DVR. I I, I write it off TV. on my taxes though, so there's that. But um all of those services I pay for. I also I again I write them off. So I feel I don't know if this were just money I had to eat. I don't know that I'd be paying for DVR. Not gonna, not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I will say I do feel like I've accidentally watched way less network TV than I usually do and I don't have anything against it but I feel like I key into like one comedy a season like determinedly I'm not like a drama watcher I still watch The Good Place and Superstore so weirdly NBC is probably the place where I watch most of my network comedy Um, so now you can watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine now I can watch look at that thank you NBC (laughs) (laughs) keep it brought to you by NBC we'll be right back When we're back, Francesca Ramsey joins us in a discussion of the royal wedding. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, 
that was when I carried you in my barefoot dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. The impending wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle this Saturday has come with not only an onslaught of press, but also far too many articles about how allegedly important this wedding is to black women across the globe. Is this true, or is the media just doing the most? We're joined by Francesca Ramsey, comedian, writer, actress, and author of Well That Escalated Quickly, Memoirs and Mistakes of an Accidental Activist, out May 22nd. Hi, Francesca. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having a rad Twitter. I love Francesca's Twitter. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> I uh, I take that as a great compliment because I don't think my Twitter has been that rad lately. I've been in book promo mode. Well, congrats, because if I were in book, book promo mode, I would simply disappear uh, from the earth. Thank you so much. <laughs> Francesca, what do you think about Meghan Markle as a black woman? Are, are we not both just 
sobbing tears of happiness somehow our people have been uplifted by this wedding right uh no as <laughs> i would say keep it i'm happily married i've been with the same dude for 12 years i've been married for four and i think like all of the hullabaloo about any wedding is kind of just ridiculous as someone that is married like it's great like marriage is awesome but the marriage is more important than the actual wedding day and Meghan Markle getting married does absolutely nothing for me uh, as a person or as a black woman. Uh, I just feel like the media wants a story and good for them. I hope they're getting those clicks, but they're not getting them from me. Yeah. I The thing, there was an article in the New York Times that was the big one about what Meghan Markle means for black Britons. And part of my problem with that article was most of the people they interviewed and the main source were children. It was an 11-year-old and a 17-year-old girl, which like, of course they're going to think this is like a fancy, fun thing. Like they don't have... And I think I can appreciate that they can look at Meghan Markle and know that she's half black and and take some pride in that. But you need to talk to some grown ass women who were like, this is not the first time, you know, we've seen. Absolutely. You know, yeah. There was also that Guardian article that said this wedding would be a inspiration in the workplace. As in baffling. Meghan Markle (laughs) joining the royal family was all of a sudden going to make people start hiring black women more. (laughs) As if this is like a job she got. That does not make any right. As if this is something she's putting on her resume. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I just, I will say it is disappointing that marriage is still held up as this giant accomplishment for women. Like, where are the dudes that are like, wow, Harry bagged somebody after, you know, that embarrassing Nazi costume. Like, he can do it, so can I. Like, (laughs) I don't see anybody... Saying that like he is an inspiration, and I saw yeah, I saw something that said that the girl, and it was I think the young girl in the New York Times, and not to drag a child, but she said something like, (laughs) you know, it was she can't believe that Harry chose Meghan. I'm like, girl, we need to have a longer talk, young ladies, about these dudes. You, they don't choose you; you allow them to even be in your presence. Okay. To be fair, Meghan was probably just tired of people messaging her on Tinder saying, "I love." you on suits but you know <laughs> the first person who actually liked her for her but I'm getting ahead of myself I will say by the way about Meghan Markle though I mean the narrative of former deal or no deal briefcase girl becomes actual royalty sounds like fanfic <laughs> I would write and I support it on that level I do have to say uh, do any of us care about the royals at all <laughs> no no I just don't I really don't care um, I was similarly burnt out around all of the baby stuff with uh, with Kate and I just I mean good for them I wish them happiness and health it just it does not do anything for my bottom line like I still have to go to work every single day and so I don't begrudge anybody that enjoys it. I feel like maybe this is some people's version of like their stories. Like some people watch Love and Hip Hop. Some people <laughs> follow the royal wedding, I guess. I don't know. I'll be impressed when uh, Megan starts inviting rappers to whatever the name of that palace is. I don't know. I don't Bucky live there. Kensington. No, there's oh, like Kens- different oh, ones. The, yes. uh, um, yeah, when she's got like Stormzy performing at a ball then I'll then then I can get behind I this. I mean if Megan turns into like a bad bitch like Diana was right. I I feel like that's the last time I really cared about the royals. Yeah. I love Diana. I loved her fashion. I love looking back and reading stories about her. She just seemed 
kind of like cool and dope and like she didn't really fit in with these people and she was like I'm gonna do my humanitarian work and style in these high-waisted jeans and, <laughs> and be friends coats. with every gay Brit- British guy every yes. gay British celebrity um very progressive on gay rights and um you know taking care of um HIV issues it, across the globe so I really liked her um and maybe maybe Megan will do more because you know they want the babies from kate so i don't think megan will be you know dropping out multiple children and parading them on the steps for the press i just hope that megan can keep her insane ass family in order and get through this wedding and and god bless you girl her family is truly messy her family is so her white relatives because her mother is the only one in that family who has exhibited an ounce of common sense she's got these crazy people like trotting up to Heathrow doing commentary on the wedding she doesn't even like these people they need to relax I I feel you with having messy family girl Harry seems to be very understanding shows he loves you get through your day live your life bring some black people into the palace. And you know what? They all have they all have messy white people in their family too. Some of them were Nazis. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I've seen the crown. Yes, Harry has a very messy has a has a messy family and a messy history, so <laughs> he's in no place to judge. Right? <laughs> uh shifting gears one colonialism. Th- <laughs> Can I say more? Um shifting gears, one thing that I have liked about Megan is how she's sort of been able to rise above all of the, you know, racist media that has been writing about her and basically all of the trolls online that sort of want to take her down just because she's black, you know. You have a bit of experience with that, don't you, Francesca? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it is something that I have way too much experience with. And I think that as you've uh, seen yourself, when you are a public facing black person on the Internet, let alone if you embody more than one marginalized identity on the Internet and you have the audacity to boldly be who you are, let alone talk about what's going on in the world, there are going to be people that are upset and threatened by it. And for me, as frustrating and as challenging as it may be, it's a reminder that the work that I'm doing is important um, and all the more reason for me to keep pushing forward. Francesca, you started your career on the Internet, but I know you've said that recently you're taking a little bit of a step back. Um, Has that been good for your for your health? Has that been how are you doing that while promoting a book as well? Have you added decades to your life already? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I look like a baby. It has helped me so much. And it, it is difficult when it comes to promoting a book at the same time. But for me, I've just been really conscious about the conversations that I participate in. So I have really taken more to maybe sending one tweet about an issue or a story or something that I have something to say on and then leaving it at that. Like, I'm not arguing with people all day. I just, I genuinely don't have the time for that. I also retweet a lot of other people's thoughts on stories uh, or things happening in the news, often because sometimes I don't necessarily feel like I have something specific to say about it. And when I took a step back, I realized that I was spending a lot of time online just talking for the sake of talking. Um, And it wasn't making me feel good. It was just bringing a lot of negativity into my life. And I have so many exciting things that I would prefer to celebrate instead of wallow in arguments with trolls and people with 
you know, frog icons or whatever else. So I'm just not doing it. And it's it's really helped so much. I want to talk about the nature of ex- trolls for a second. I think a lot of people, uh, when they think of trolls, they think of just random people making comments here or there. Many trolls just I spend their lives and careers like in one specific person's mentions. You know, they just like sit there and keep oh. pressing and keep pressing and keep pressing. They they want to be they want you to be consumed with them. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, YouTube has been so good to me throughout my career. But the downside of the ability to monetize content on YouTube is there are people who are quite literally making a living off of harassing people and trolling people. And I have paid so many people's bills, mortgages. (laughs) I I hope people have savings accounts because, you know, God bless them. But they are making a lot of money talking and theorizing and coming up with all these strange conspiracies about me on YouTube. And... I used to just devote a lot of time and energy into defending myself against things I haven't said um, or clarifying things that have been misrepresented. And it's just a losing battle. They always win as soon as you give them any attention because then they make that their next video, that their next Twitter thread. And so ignoring them has just been a huge weight off of my shoulders. So, Francesca, you had a MTV digital series called Decode It, where each episode tackled race and pop culture like in a funny and yet provocative way. How do you think that online activism has changed since you launched that series? I think post-Trump presidency, like now that Trump is our president, there are a lot more people who seem to be like very focused on trying to use their platform and use their voice to talk about issues that matter to them. I think for some of us, there was a little bit of cynicism there where we had friends or family members who in the past never talked about politics or never talked about social issues. And now suddenly their entire Facebook is you know, them posting news articles and memes decrying Donald Trump. And I think I'm of two minds that it's unfortunate that it took such a terrible event to shake people up. But I do think it's something positive. And I think especially in the wake of things like the March for Our Lives, more people are starting to take online activism seriously. It's not just hashtags. There are lots of people that are mobilizing using the Internet and starting important conversations and reaching people that they would have never been able to reach without the help of the internet. I'm wondering when the aha moment for you was when it all clicked and you realized that you were an online activist. I don't think there was one specific moment. It's more been a series of events in my life and it really seemed to be lots of people telling me that my work was really crucial in their coming to wanting to be an activist or have conversations around identity and social justice. And I think for me, that's why the subtitle of my book is Accidental Activist, because it was not something that I set out to do, but I felt that I had an important and unique perspective when it came to talking about identity by using humor and and pop culture references and talking about my life in a way that lots of people really resonated with and, and, and really spoke to them. So it's kind of been something that over time I've realized that I had a passion for and that I was good at. And um, what do you hope readers take away from this book that they haven't found in your 
videos or the other content that you've had online? For me, this book was really about being honest about the mistakes that I've made and the, the things that have happened throughout my journey that have gotten to me where I am today. I'm very fortunate to have a platform and all these awesome opportunities. But I think if you just look at Decoded or you just look at my work in The Nightly Show, you might have a picture of me as somebody that is all-knowing and gets it right all of the time. And I think especially when we talk about identity and the work that activists do, it's important to be honest And admit that we all make mistakes and that we've had to make those mistakes in order to learn from them. And so I'm hoping that people will read my story and be more transparent about the mistakes that they've made as well. Well, thank you so much, Francesca, for joining us. Thank you. Once again, the book is Well That Escalated Quickly, Memoirs and Mistakes of an Accidental Activist. And you can cop that on May 22nd. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer. Because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. We're talking about Rita Ora on the podcast this week and not in the fun way, not because I'm forcing (laughs) Kara to discuss her for no reason. She's actually in the news. Rita Ora, I know, good for her. Her first controversy. Well, is it? No. Okay. The first controversy we might remember. True. Rita Ora has apologized for criticism surrounding her recently released song, Girls. which features a host of Who's That, Charlie XCX, BB Rexa, and actual chart tarper Cardi B. Some have praised the song as a bisexual anthem. Who? Stands on Twitter. <laughs> but others have pointed out that there are some problematic undertones and queer stereotypes perpetuated by the lyrics and that it complements the male gaze, probably because it was written by a bunch of men. <laughs> <laughs> Exclusively? Their their list, obviously all four women are listed yeah, right, on right. it. And we don't know how much they all contributed, but they're like the host of the people who wrote the song. I man. hate that about songwriting credits, how you can't tell who wrote anything or how authentic You know those are. girls didn't write that shit. You know Rita Ora didn't write this shit. We can <laughs> figure that out. Cardi B is pregnant as fuck. That girl didn't write these lyrics. It was those two dudes, and they just contractually, because that's the other thing with a lot of music. Like, even if you didn't write a word, some artists will get songwriting credit. Like, if you want to, if you 
write a song for Rihanna, Rihanna gets songwriting credit whether she wrote a word of it or not. That's what, but you know, then you get to have written a Rihanna song and you get, you know, the money from that. So, and that's how she earns money she, by having the songwriting from credit. From the songwriting. So they probably did not write a word. I mean, maybe Cardi wrote her. Did she rap on this? I, it was hard for me to get through this song. Here's the thing uh, the criticisms this song got, which is like from a bunch of. Uh, a lot of queer pop artists. Kalani yeah. chimed in. Haley Kiyoko. Yes, uh, the ladies of Muna, the, the, who, by the way, are awesome. I know a place that's a jam. But um, if here's the thing: if I'm a queer lady pop artist and I hear this song, and it's like four women kind of trying to make a moment of bisexuality, well, I'm a queer pop artist, and I'm spending my entire life basically trying to make my queerness authentic and presented. I might see this song and think. Is this legit? Whatever. Mind you, I actually find most of the lyrics kind of playful and kind of um, celebratory about bisexuality. I mean, like she literally says, uh, Rita Ora says in the song, like, I'm 50-50. So it's not like she's saying, I'm only doing this to please men. So I'm sort of lost on the male gaze part of it, a little bit. I want to know what Sid from the internet thinks of it. Because I one of the things I love about Sid is that when she sings in her music, she sings about women. And in, in a way that's just like, it's not a big thing. It's just like, if she's singing a love song, she says her because that's who she's singing to. Not to, discour- you know, to disparage Kalani, but I would like to hear from someone who's a little more thoughtful, perhaps. Yeah, where's Halsey? Good question. She's hiding. The thing for me about this song is, I when I think of like music with problematic lyrics, like if we're listening to like Hot in Here, it's like, oh, these lyrics aren't great, but that song fucking goes. This song isn't even good, so it's hard for me to care about this. Like the lyrics are kind of silly and potential, you know, offensive to people to whom you know um, they're singing about, and the song sucks. So right. it seems to have garnered criticism as being from the male gaze. Because the lyrics are, you know, we want to kiss girls because we're drinking red wine, you know, we're smoking kush, you know, we're just hanging out and being playful and oops, I accidentally, you know, went down on you. Uh, But that's only a little bit of it. I mean, like the Cardi B portion of the song is pretty open about exploring sexuality. And I feel like we shouldn't discourage that in songs. I don't know. She did that in, she's done that in her music forever. And she's too. been openly bi, as has Rita Ora been, too. Well, she's, Cardi B? Yeah. She, I don't think she's been openly bisexual. She said that she's had experiences yeah. uh-huh. with, because she, she tweeted, she tweeted. She tweeted I personally yeah. myself had experiences with other women. Shit, a lot of women. <laughs> <laughs> Funny always wins. (laughs) Also, you know what I love about that? You know that bitch is feet up, pregnant, eating hot Cheetos, just like tweeting this away. I really agreed with this writer at Into, Jill Gutowitz, her take on it. She's a a queer writer herself. And she was saying that as somebody who is starved for any lyrics about lady-to-lady sex... Uh, it, it was actually refreshing in certain ways. That said, I do think the uh, criticism coming from people who spend their entire careers trying to make any queerness apparent, I could see how this comes off as a little bit contrived. Does well, she wish yeah. the song was better? Because that would have solved a lot of the issues that we True. had. I will say, the song <laughs> to me sounds like very typical Charlie XCX, actually. It does. It's. I think the, a lot of the criticism is very overblown. I do think the song could be better as a Rita fan. It is certainly not the most entertaining of her most recent singles. She's had three bangers this year. Yeah. I mean, I do love Rita's music, typically. And this one, yeah. Does bangers, sound... love? What are these words we're using here Anywhere. about Rita Ora? I was just on Wiki and learned these. Let me use them. <laughs> Wig flu. 
shook. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it does sound typically like a Charlie XCX song. And this song has actually been floating around for well over a year. There were snippets of this song from a year ago. And I believe before Cardi was on it, it was Rai Rai. And, oh my God, Rai Rai is still and, around? And I think they got rid of her because <laughs> they were like, Cardi's more relevant. I didn't know Rai Rai was still out here. Good yeah. for her. Uh, Except she got booted from the song. Then. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> Duffy was originally on it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica Marboy. <Yeah. laughs> Fifi Dobson. Christina Milian wrote this in 1998. <laughs> the question is, does a song written by men for women necessarily have the male gaze attached to it? And should a song like this have had more female songwriters? I mean, there need to be more female songwriters in general. Like when when Adele gets up and collects her Grammys, when Taylor Swift got up and collect her album of the year, it is them and a bunch of dudes. Like seven hundred. Like men. a bunch of like they <laughs> really don't like honestly, you know. Even more flagrant when Taylor Swift got up there at that one Grammy right. and was talking about supporting, supporting women, women in the industry and, wi- and there are no women No women make her. money off of you. There are artists, I feel like I'm always using Beyonce as the example, I am aware of other people, but like who actually hire female songwriters. So I think in general, that's hire something. Esther Dean. Yeah. She wrote this I song. love Esther Dean. She could have wrote Dean's this amazing. song and it would have went off. But also like there needs to, Esther Dean is like a titan and there should be more Esther Deans than there are now. Like, I feel like that's probably something when you had Hollis, um, who's this, um, Hollis Wongware, who's a songwriter um, and a woman talking about how difficult the industry is. Like, it just, it's one of those things where in general, if there is more diversity and of thought and more people involved in any project, it's a lot easier to avoid dumb shit like this in the same way that it's easier to avoid dumb things when you have you know, people of color and women in writers' rooms and just anywhere where decisions and things are being made. Right, because I've heard Ariana Grande's new album coming out is very good, but half of it was written by Pharrell and half of it was written by Max Martin. And these are two men who have decided what pop music has sounded like for the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. So can we get some women who decide what pop music should sound like? I mean, I'll I'll say there are two women in particular I want to shout out who are, I think, great queer pop artist. We mentioned one, Haley Kiyoko, whose album I think is fantastic. I was only familiar with the first single of it somewhat recently, so she rules. And also, one of my all-time favorite artists, Michelle Indigay Ocello, who is this uh, bassist, uh, who I first heard uh, featured on Madonna's Bedtime Stories in like the 90s. She was like the first person Madonna signed to Maverick back in the day. But anyway, Stop she has... flirting with me. All right, you yes. know I love Madonna's <laughs> Bedtime Stories. She has a new album out uh, with some interesting covers on it, including Lisa Lisa. Anyway, she is rad as fuck. She She's the one who gave an interview recently questioning the authenticity of Bruno Mars, uh, the finesse song. Anyway, she rules. Deeply queer. Deeply rad. Listen, I am all for more queer songs, but, you know, I love them when they come from people like Sid or, you know, um, even Halsey, you know, to be honest. You know, I like it when a song feels authentic, you know? I'm loving the new music from... The Years and Years, Troye Sivan, like people giving you actual queer music and, that 
relates to like you have an emotional response to it i have no emotional response to this song that's probably a lot of it too like it i mean pop music to a certain extent it's glossy and there's sort of this veneer on it but you do kind of have to believe the person that they have to be able to sell the song whether they wrote it or not and that may be the thing with this song where you know i didn't know that rita or used to date women which may not be my business but it does maybe inform the way i'm listening to this song and people's reaction to it so i think I think more than anything, I just like don't really buy this from these artists. And it didn't seem like an authentic coming out in the way, say, when Frank Ocean first released a song talking about men, you know? This would be like Justin Timberlake talking about sucking dick on an album. No, it would not be like that. (laughs) Because I would be out a window Wiley Coyote style. Um, it is early in the morning, guys. <laughs> I mean to say, I do think this is the queer song. Rita Ora talks about how this is based in real experience. So I don't mean to say it's like it's it's not within the like umbrella of, you know, queer experimentation, et cetera. Of course. That said, I've drank yeah. red wine, you know, I've thought <laughs> about I've thought about kissing Christine Baranski. <laughs> I'd do it. You you would become a superhero. That's how that works. I Most too would I'm, kiss Christine Baranski. Yeah. Ugh. I'd be a good wife. And Archie Punjabi. You ever seen The Fall? Jillian Anderson goes for it with Archie I Punjabi. I would kiss every woman yeah. who's ever appeared on The Good Wife, to be honest. Ooh. Inclu- yeah. Every guest judge. Every, all of them. <laughs> Carrie Preston. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mamie Gummer. <laughs> Martha Plimpton. Kush Jumbo. How do we yeah. turn this into a song? <laughs> yeah. When we're back, keep it. enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. And now it's time for the segment we love to get to every week. It's keep it. You had a little little drawl there in that uh, that reading, Ira. <laughs> well, Kara, you know I love to meet some keeper. <laughs> oh, good lord! <laughs> what's going keep, home? What's your keeper this week, darling? Oh God. <laughs> uh, my keeper this week is to Azealia Banks, who I feel similar to the way I feel about. 
Amorosa, which is that I hate talking about her, but she forces me again and again. She has been running her mouth again this week. First, she went on The Breakfast Club, which, dear God, basically talking shit about Cardi B, saying that she is lowering basically the bar for female rappers, saying that other black female rappers wouldn't be able to get away with the things that Cardi B gets away with, and that, you know, we're coming from a place where we've had a seat at the table on Lemonade, and then people like Cardi B are now popular. When, mind you, Azealia Banks, when Lemonade came out, called Beyonce a poacher and said that she didn't even like Lemonade. So fuck you for that, Azealia. We remember things. She also keeps commenting on Nicki Minaj's Instagrams being like, oh, yes, Slay Girl, when... I remember when she used to drag and come for Nikki. Exactly. And then she came for Tayana Taylor. Azealia's recording or filming her mu- a music video, and she's has this choreographer there, and she added Tayana or something like that and basically accused her of stealing the choreography from Fade, which really like put Tayana Taylor on the map in a real way from this choreographer. And the girl has lost all credibility. Like when you're out here where we have you on camera calling black women gorillas, bitch, you don't get to talk about what is good or not good for black women. It's done. It's a wrap. I'm so tired of her. And the thing that's most frustrating always about Azealia Banks is that her music is actually pretty good. She's so like, talented, she's which really makes talented, it hurt. Which is just like, she's she so- She really has a knack for releasing LaBouche songs and making them sound good. That's right. <laughs> she Ain't just nothing is, wrong with LaBouche. I'm also, just saying that the, all of her songs are house. Yeah. Like, yeah her, she has no other genre. But her, her music is good. Also, she seems to think that we don't remember anything she says, which is my, like, if you're gonna have the opinions that you're gonna have, Fine, but you don't get to say Beyonce, you know, release Lemonade, it's a genius work and, you know, how come we can't go back to that standard of music and then also say that she's not a producer, she's a poacher. Well, you know what, Kara? Yes. Dorinda always says, say it, forget it, write it, regret it. (laughs) But by the way... Her laying into Cardi and just saying that like people are lowering the bar to accept her, it's like that doesn't make any sense. That's not evidence. Like Cardi is very yeah, popular. We, and people, we yeah. lower the bar as an Azealia fan. I have <laughs> to lower the fucking bar. I'm doing the fucking limbo over here to support you whenever you release a new song that bangs because it's like, who did she call a nigga this week? Right. Right. It's she, usually Zayn. Yeah. Oh my God, I forgot she did that. She just like, it's so, she yeah, said she so Zane. many horrible things that, and in the and she also sometimes does have a point. Like she does make some good points sometimes about the way black women in music and entertainment are treated and perceived. But then when you go and say vile things about black women, it's like you have no, it doesn't work She's so that way. Deep. It's like a, it's like a Kanye thing too yeah. of wanting this equality, but mostly just for herself. Exactly. Exactly. It's another all caps tweet type person, if you will. And I wouldn't know because she blocked me years ago. Oh, congrats. Thank you. Well, Twitter blocked her. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> Remember when they banned her? She, she is always popping up on Twitter with a different screen name yeah because they did they did block her she's writing her monologues on whatsapp yeah she i mean girl like if she knew what were remotely good for her me here (laughs) she would just make her music and shut up but she cannot help herself every single time and and she's at it again and i wish i wish she would just stop lewis what's your keep it my keep it this week is to david letterman who i grew up watching a lot of his humor is still very funny because it is by the way 
not related to topicality at all, like throwing hams off roofs and stuff. It's just, it's kind of funny. That's just, I'm just going to say that. Meanwhile, he has this show on Netflix now where he interviews basically the only the people he wants to interview. And I have to say, something is already wrong with that because David Letterman's best moments were when he was forced to deal with people he had no opinions about, like the Paris Hilton interview, et cetera, even that staged Joaquin Phoenix interview, whatever. But anyway, he had Tina Fey on. And he broached the topic of women in comedy, of course, because what else would you ask Tina Fey about? And he said, uh, quote, I know this is a topic that you don't like talking about, and mm. it's a topic without an answer, but women in comedy, mm. and, and I know you've been very generous uh, to, to women and, and correcting uh, an oversight. Now, when, when I had a television show, people would always say to me, I would do an interview with something somewhere, uh, and they would say, well, why didn't you, why don't you have women writers? And the best I could come up with was, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I have a guess. And it's that for years and years, men could just get away with like making a frat house of writers rooms and it was convenient and no one challenged them. And that's why you did it. And now you're making Tina Fey like, you're, you're like coercing her into like apologizing Inter- on your behalf. I don't know. Interrogating her. At the, tell me why yeah. I didn't do it. And then, <laughs> I suck. And at, how? At one point he even says. Jeez, uh, if I was a woman, I'm not sure I would want to write on my little nickel and dime dog and pony show mm-hmm. anyway. Because yeah. we were on at 1230. Because women go to bed at 730 right after Wheel of Fortune. Because we know women don't work hard and aren't up late. Right. It was very weird. He I, kept trying to be like nice about it while also exposing himself as a hypocrite throughout. It would have been amazing if he had asked, you know, said that to her and she's like, well, you know, maybe you don't respect women, asshole. Like she should have given him. She did a, a little re- bit. She goes, yeah, we do want to write on it. though. Yeah. But by the way, how about you ask those questions to one of your male writers? You know, why does Tina have to answer this? All we do is force people like Tina to answer questions like that. And they've done it and they've done it well. So I'm she's done with that. busy writing episodes about geisha she doesn't have time <laughs> to answer david letterman's questions i'm sad unbreakable kimmy schmidt's going away i'm sad <laughs> my keep it is short and sweet stop messaging me on tinder to tell me you like keep it <laughs> and i realize that sounds like an egotistical thing does it but when i'm on tinder yeah, you're on a mission. Just, I'm on a mission. I'm a man on a mission. And when you meet someone and you're like, oh, this person's cute. Oh, this person just wants to say, I really enjoy Keep It. That's the only reason they're matching, you yes. think? Just to say- <laughs> and I've had it. <laughs> Officially. Do you get that notification? You get all excited. Yes. And, and I have Tinder Gold. So it tells you when someone new likes you. Oh, Guys, help Ira out so he'll stop right. talking about it. What a touching and I could not a relatable believe story. It. <laughs> oh, please. We we go out and there are men just constantly descending on Louis Vertel telling him they loved his plucky commentary on... Karen on a, Carpenter. Just again, always Karen, Karen Carpenter. Carpenter. You guys or, have dragged Carly Simon in the past few weeks. And I just want you to know I've had enough. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with Oscar winner Carly. <laughs> Dusty in Memphis. I love it too, Lewis. That's my keep it. Sorry you're unmatching your fans. I'm sorry. I don't want fans. I'm I'm not gonna. That's all you want, bitch. I do want. All all right. Everyone, please just keep doing this because. (laughs) Can we get a hotline for for our fans to call into? Let's do that. I would love to hear you want a hotline. 
I'm, I'm going to talk to Eva Longoria about that. <laughs> That's been our episode. <laughs> Thank you, Kara and Lewis and Francesca Ramsey for joining us. We'll see you next week. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 